This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Good afternoon, good evening, good morning, wherever you're tuning in from, from welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. I am very, very pleased that you are all here with me today. Did you catch last week's show with Andrew Harvey? He was wonderful. It was a great show, very passionate, and I'm really looking forward to today's guest, who I'll introduce to you in just a moment. But first, of course, we have... My blog post from a couple of years ago that we're going through these days, the beginning of my show. And I, I want to get started because I really want to get to my guests. This is kind of a long blog post. And the title of this one is True Freedom Lies Within Us. Freedom is something we like to strive for, to be free from work, free from obligations, and, freedom, and to have freedom to pursue our dreams. Yet in order to have the external freedom we desire, there is internal work to be done. For when we feel there is a lack of freedom, it usually comes from our own mental restrictions. We feel we cannot leave a job because we have a family to support. We cannot move to another town because it will cost too much. And especially when it comes to relationships, we feel we cannot leave because it will hurt the other person. Yet none of these reasons are true external bonds. They merely show a lack of imagination or flexibility. Perhaps we can leave that job we dislike and start a business instead. Maybe we can move if we can find a way to make our work virtual. And once we open a dialogue with our partner about how we feel, we might find they feel the same way, or better yet, we actually work through what created the desire to leave in the first place. We are more bound by our limited thinking than by actual chains. Not that there is not, that there is not slavery in the world. There is. However, for most of us, the real bondage is how we perceive the situation. We feel stuck because we feel there is no way out. There seems to be only two choices, and neither of them are good. Our view of our situation makes us feel that we can't move from where we are in our life. Yet there are more possibilities than we recognize. More often than not, there are choices that we haven't even considered, especially when other people are involved. Do we include them in the conversation? 
Have we asked them what could be possible? When we open up internally to the possibilities, even the ones we can't see, more options appear to us. The freedom we so desire may already be present in our lives. We just have not found a way to see it yet. True freedom comes when we believe that there is a path to it. That the only obstacle from where we are to where we want to be is our limited imagination. So how do we find the freedom we are looking for? Explore more. Fantasize more. Discuss it more. When we let others know what we desire and what we are looking for, they might open new perspectives to us. Of course, we want to open up to those who are supportive of us, not those who are critical of, not those who are critical. Yet opening up about our desire for more freedom in whatever aspect of life we seek more of it can lead us to new solutions to new collaborations. And suddenly we may find that there are others who are seeking the exact same kind of freedom that we are. When we open up to others with confidence there is that there is a way, they become inspired as well. Soon we have more, may have more ideas than we need to find the freedom we so dearly seek. For true Freedom lies within us. We just need to believe that there, that there is, that there is, and it will eventually show itself to us. So where in your life are you seeking more freedom? Have you expressed that desire to anyone around you? So I, I wrote this a while ago, but it was actually inspired by something I learned many, many, many years ago. And, and that was, I was at a, a, a workshop, a weekend workshop or something. And, and the facilitator in working with people and they would say like where they're stuck and what was happening. And I'm like, well, did you, uh, 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 and they said like, well, have you considered this? Have you considered that? Have you considered this? Have you considered that? And they immediately like presented like half a dozen different options, whereas the person who was expressing the challenge only saw two options. And it just really stuck with me how often we think we see all these different choices or we think that, oh, it's only th these two potential choices. And there's really so many more possibilities out there. And what keeps us from really seeing these other choices is our own limitation, our own lack of creativity, our own lack of imagination. And then I, I believe when I wrote this, it, it was kind of inspired because I was working with someone and they said, oh, I don't know how to do this and 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 I'm stuck and da-da-da. And it was telling me all these things. And I'm like, well, have you discussed it with your boss? Have you discussed it with your partner? Da, da, da. And And then sure enough, 
after that session, they discussed it with whoever else they needed to discuss it with. And then they came back to me and they're like, oh my God, Sam, you wouldn't believe it. I talked with them about this and they said, yeah, I could actually do this and that. And like all these things opened up and because they opened their mouth about what it was they wanted, suddenly the possibilities started to open up in front of them. And so I never really forgot that. And and it really, for myself, was a big lesson in communicating, being open, and striving to see the other possibilities that I don't usually see. So whenever I'm stuck in a situation and it looks like, you know, there's only one way or another to go, I try and remember to ask myself, well, is there anything else? What am I not seeing? Are there other possibilities I'm not open to? And especially if I do it with my wife or if I do it with a friend or a business partner, inevitably more ideas come up. So, so, so this blog is really to help us to understand that the freedom we so desire that we're really looking for in our lives, normally it's already there. I mean, not always. Sometimes it's just not. But for most of us, whatever it is we're looking for, the freedom to choose another choice, it's there. We just have to open up and be vulnerable vulnerable about it. We just have to ask. We just have to be present to the fact that maybe, just maybe, we're not seeing everything. So uh, that's my blog for this week. Um, well, it's from a long time ago, but it's for this week's show. It's called True Freedom Lies Within Us. You can always find uh, my blog at talkradio.nyc slash blog or at my personal brand website, theconsciousconsultant.com. And now it is my extreme pleasure, extreme pleasure to welcome to the show clinical psychologist, author, and healer extraordinaire, Dr. Richard Lewis Miller. Dr. Miller is the founder of the Health Sanctuary at Wilbur Hot Springs, a healing nature preserve. He's also a founding advisor to the Modern Family Institute, a senior advisor to the Changa Institute, and a senior advisor for the Alexander Shulgin uh, Research Institute. In 2017, his book, Psychedelic Medicine, was published, which is a compilation of his interviews on the medicinal uses of psychedelics, featuring such luminaries in the psychedelics field as Rick Doblin, Stanislav Grof, James Federman, Julie Holland, Dennis McKenna, each discussing various substances such as LSD, MDMA, psilocybin, and ayahuasca. In 22, his new book, Psychedelic Wisdom, thank you to inner traditions for sending me the book, uh, came out where Dr. Miller shares stories of psychedelic transformation, insight, and wisdom from his conversations with 19 scientists, doctors, therapists, and teachers, each of whom have been self-experimenting with psychedelic medicines, subrasa, for decades, revealing the psychedelic wisdom uncovered in spite of decades of the war on drugs, 
Dr. Miller and his contributors show how LSD and other psychedelics offer a pathway to creativity, healing, innovation, and liberation. Dr. Miller, welcome to the Conscious Consultant Hour. Thank you, Sam. Um, it, it was a real treat to kind of get the book and to see who uh, who you have in here, especially the forwards written by Rick Doblin, who I recently got to meet uh, personally at the Psychedelic Sciences Conference in Denver last June. And, and to meet someone who's really been involved in this movement, I'll call it, for decades, long before most people really realize how long and, and how how much people have really put into this. And I'm just curious, what got you started on this path? Like, what was sort of the germ or the seed that sort of opened you up to the idea of looking at these substances, which especially, you know, in the 70s and 80s were so vilified? Um, I was um, influenced by Dr. Timothy Leary and Dr. Richard Alpert when they were teaching at Harvard. I was teaching at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. And um, I knew of their work. Uh, I knew they'd been fired. Um, I picked up one of their books, the Tibetan Book of the Dead. Mm -hmm. In the back of the book, it said, you can have an LSD experience by eating morning glory seeds, heavenly blue or pearly gates. So I went out and bought all the heavenly blue and pearly gates uh, morning glory seeds I could get and got together with a friend. We had two people sit with us and I ingested 400 morning glory seeds mm. and uh, changed the uh, changed the course of my life because wow. I saw things that I'd never seen before. I realized there was a lot more out there than I ever had any idea of. And more importantly, there was a lot more in there than I had any idea of. And so from that time on, I became what I call an inner space traveler. Yeah. Some people go to outer space. I go to inner space. <laughs> and I've been going to inner space ever since. Um, I continued my experimentation. Uh, I was fortunate that um, one of my th great therapists, Dr. Robert Cantor, um, administered MDMA to me while it was um, while it was still uh, illegal and uh, excuse me about that get rid of that um, he administered L uh, MDMA while it was still legal and I had an amazing experience with the MDMA as a clinical psychologist I recognized immediately the value that this would have for a couples therapy. Mm. And um, it was a little bit after that, that MDMA got scheduled in 1985, I believe. But also in 1985, I met Rick Doblin at the Esalen Institute, uh -huh. and we became friends and, uh, and very much agreed that um, there would be a lot of work that would go on that we would be necessary. Excuse me again. I don't know how to turn this darn thing off. There, <laughs> no worries. Um, um, so we that was the beginning, and uh, Rick has been on the campaign, and I've been on the campaign ever since. 
And I've been uh, one of those people for 50 years now, I guess, to um, be classified as a drug warrior. But I'm mm. not a drug warrior. I'm a people uh, advocate. Because the war on drugs, as uh, many of us know, war on drugs, Sam, it was a war on people. Yes. It, was a, it was a racist, motivated war yes. against people of color and of hippies. And it was started by our paranoid, alcoholic President Richard Nixon. And uh, it was really an attack on people of color. In any event, th- that's how I began. Way back then, it all started with the ingestion of 400 morning glory seeds. Oof. Wow, four hundred. That's a lot. That's a lot. It must have been some. It experience. was a lot to get. It was a. It, it was a lot to get down. No question. <laughs> a lot of seeds. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. All right. Um, I I, I want to get into, um, sort of how things, your journey, and kind of how things shifted and changed over the years, and and up to like what's happening today, and your views on that being sort of one of the elder statesman of the psychedelic movement. Um, But we're going to take a quick break first. Um, So, uh, Dr. Miller, please hold on for for just a moment. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back. And just to remind all our listeners, you're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. We're talking this hour with Dr. Richard Lewis Miller, um, author and editor of the book Psychedelic Wisdom. And we will be right back in just a moment. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your conscious consultant. And on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. Richard Lewis Miller, author of the book, Psychedelic Wisdom. So, Dr. Miller, um, you had this experience many years ago. You, you had a chance to try MDMA before it was scheduled. But, you know, after you got involved with this stuff, you know, the quote-unquote war on drugs was started and a lot of propaganda was put out there against these substances. A lot of people were persecuted. I mean, Leary himself uh, was put in jail. Uh, what kind of kept you still um, supporting it, still involved with it? Um, you know, weren't you ever afraid that they'd come after you for being a proponent of these, at that time, illegal substances? I was so afraid that they would come after me that I went in a different direction. Uh. Sub Rosa, I supported the movement by having fundraisers at my home. Uh. Above the table, I specialized in chemical dependence, and I got a, a national reputation for a chemical dependence program that I founded and uh, worked in called the Coke Enders Alcohol and Drug Program. And we achieved the highest, the highest success rate in the United States. I was a pioneer in bringing many modalities into drug treatment that had never been done before. Mm -hmm. I brought aerobics exercise into drug treatment, meditation, nutrition, vocational training, yoga, called it stretching, we, uh, I brought in meditation. I called it mind clearing. I taught them nutrition. I called it fuel learning. We had names that were palatable to the public rather than the names that are associated with India or with hippies. And so for 10 years, I specialized in chemical dependence, all the while doing the underground work by doing fundraisers while Nick Doblin was generating maps and moving forward with the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And some other scientists were trying to do a little bit of work, but it was a long period with very little going on. Yeah. Then, then in about the early 2000s, I came back with a vengeance and I, I went on National Public a Radio Affiliate with a radio program called Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. And I started interviewing the few scientists around the United States and around the world who had the courage and the persistence to keep knocking on the doors of the government until they were allowed to do a little research. So I interviewed Charlie Grobe down at UCLA. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed Roland Griffiths when he first did his seminal work at Johns Hopkins, and I interviewed Stan Groff and Rick Doblin. And I did the longest series of interviews on psychedelics that had ever been done in the United States on the air. Mm. And out of that, those series of interviews came my book, Psychedelic Medicine, which contains interviews with many of these great scientists. So I took a detour in a certain way I kept doing the fundraising sub rosa, and then I came back with the radio program, which I think was contributory 
to the present psychedelic renaissance. Uh, uh, I'm curious. I mean, you were there during a time when, when there were a lot of great people. You mentioned some of the names. Um, I'm assuming, did you meet Alexander Shulgin? Did you meet Sasha Shulgin? Sasha and his wife, Ann, were at my home many times. Uh, I, I knew them quite pretty well. And I've been at their home, of course, out in Orinda. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the good fortune. Also, uh, one of the biggest luminaries in the field, from my perspective, Dr. Leo Zeff, who's had uh, books written about him called The Secret Chief. He was my neighbor down the street, and he was also my mentor. So Leo tried all kinds of psychedelics out on me. It, wow. it, wasn't, wasn't, it was very common for him to walk into the house on a weekend day with some latest something that he wanted to try on me, whether it was Ibogaine or maybe some LSD or something, everything. But the only thing Leo, I think, never tried on me was ayahuasca. Ah. But pretty much everything else. Yes. And Leo was very close with Sasha. So yeah. as soon as Sasha came up with some new molecules that had not yet been made illegal, he would give them to Leo, and then Leo would administer them to me. Mm. So I had a lot of personal experience. But the important thing is not so much that I was a guinea pig for these experiences, but that I recognized right from that first experience with the morning glory seeds that these medicines had a tremendous potential for psychotherapy. And as a clinical psychologist, that's what grabbed my interest, Sam. Yeah. Then I came to realize later on that these substances also had great potential for creativity. Yeah. And of course, we have found out since how some of the great inventors of our time um, the, the discoverers of the uh, DNA molecule, for example, used LSD. Uh, Apple, Steve Jobs used LSD. <clears throat> and even the great astrophysicist Carl Sagan, although he didn't talk about his LSD when he was alive, his yeah. widow talked about it after he was gone, and she acknowledged, similar to your question about to me about whether I was afraid, Sagan, one of the world's greatest uh, astrophysicists, was afraid of talking about his experiences with LSD because he thought it would injure his career. And that's an example of how draconian our government has unfortunately been over the years with regard to these substances and their potential for healing. It's a sad situation, Sam, where who knows how many millions of people have been denied access to a medicine that could be so helpful to them. Right. And not just denied access, but people put in jail, lives ruined. I mean, people uh, persecuted for something that has such tremendous potential to help humanity, not just on on a physical, mental level, but even on a spiritual level, because almost everyone I talk to in this industry, if you've been working with these substances for a while, you there always ends up being almost a spiritual component to it, doesn't it? There is a spiritual component. Uh, spiritual is an awkward word 
because mm. it often sounds like you're talking about religion or something airy fairy. But there is a feeling that one gets when one takes these substances of a connection with life itself, a connection with the planet. For example, in my experiences, Sam, I, I've come to the realization that we human beings don't live on the planet, as I always thought. We are part of the planet. Mm-hmm. It's all one big organism floating through space. And so when we pick things out of the earth, like what's called mining, yeah, that's really almost the same as ripping something out of your own leg or your own arm, because we're picking something out of ourselves. And that is a spiritual feeling, a realization of the unity of it all. I came to recognize that every person on the planet in some way is connected. We may not feel it all the time. We may not realize it, but we are a connected species and we're connected to everything else, just as the mushrooms are all connected and they're so important in the world, just as we've learned that trees actually talk to one another, just as we've learned that animals communicate, just as my colleague John Lilly became Mm. able to communicate with dolphins, Just just as when I went out to talk to Brownie, my 2,500-pound steer who lives in my front yard, who my wife and I rescued. And when I go to talk to him about his little friend getting killed, I see he, he cries, Sam. The cow cries, and I see tears coming down his face as I'm talking to him about his friend, the little goat that got killed. Uh, these 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 are ways that we're all connected, and I learned a, a great deal about this from my psychedelic experiences, and I don't think I would have learned any other way because yeah. they bring us into a dimension that we're not able to bring ourselves into yet. I say yet because someday we may be able to bring ourselves into those dimensions. Yeah. I think it's important for your listeners to know, Sam, that one of our great scientists, Amanda Fielding in England, did original MRI research on the brain without any substances in it and the brain on LSD. And she published these MRIs in the New York Times And anybody looking at the two MRIs could see the visual effect of the LSD on the mind. Namely, the LSD mind, Sam, was full of orange lights, like the whole brain was lit up. The normal mind had a small part of it lit up. It was almost a validation of that old slogan we've all heard as kids, oh, we really only use about 10% of our minds. You've heard that. I've heard that. Yeah, you know, maybe we use 5 or 10% of our minds. 
Well, when you look at these two MRIs, you can see that that appears to be the case. And the mm-hmm. LSD does something to the mind to activate it. And when the mind is activated, we have resources available to us that are almost unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. why I mentioned these scientists, because the other way that we can use LSD, for example, some of the other psychedelics, in addition to use it for healing, for anxiety, depression, end of life, depression and anxiety. I'm writing a, a my next book is on that topic, by the way, end of uh-huh. life uh, uh, with trans, with psychedelics. But in addition to using it for the healing, there is this whole avenue that is yet to be explored of using these medicines for creativity. And I think that is where the entire field of psychedelics is really going to explode when people apply themselves to a particular task, take the substance, go inside, and then do that inner work that you talked about in your blog. But instead of doing the inner work regular, which is really good the way you prescribed, doing the inner work with the added boost of these significant psychedelic substances. Yes, absolutely. And I've I've heard it even said that the people who created the the equipment for the backbone of the internet, the, the Cisco routers and these, these complicated machines, that they were able to do that. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold only after using LSD and that Uh um, they were able to sort of hold in their mind these more complex models that they were then able to program for and and create the circuitry for that they couldn't have before before the using the substances. Oh, that's a great story, Sam. Yeah. So, I mean, it's all about, right, interconnectivity and communication. Um, We've got to take our next break, Dr. Miller. Um, But when we come back, I would love to talk a little bit more about um, what you think about this this sort of rebirth, the renaissance, everyone's calling it, of psychedelics. What sort of, what do you think really started that? And then uh, where we are today, and, and if you have any sort of warnings about like what's happening today and what to be aware of. Okay. Be happy to do that. I'll also tell you that my, my book after the end of life book is called psychedelics adverse effects. So I'm right on the Uh, same page with you. Wonderful. Wonderful. 
great. So everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We're speaking this hour with Dr. Richard Miller, author of the book, Psychedelic Wisdom and Psychedelic Medicine. And we will be right back to continue our conversation in just a moment. Hey, everybody. It's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Were you an essential worker during the pandemic? If you needed to learn stages of epilepsy, did you depend on advocates? Did you use new innovations to cope with mental and neurological issues? Maintaining high quality of life and keeping good mental health are what we all strive for. I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each week, top healthcare influencers, professionals, and innovators answer these questions and more. Stay tuned on Thursdays at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will continue to be Frank About Health with all of you. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour Awakening Humanity. Um, so, Dr. Miller, uh, th- there's been this this renaissance starting a few years ago of um, interest in psychedelics. There's been a lot of research. Rick Doblin has done an amazing work with MAPS. Uh, according to Rick, uh, when I heard him at the conference, they estimate that MDMA will be legalized for therapeutic use next year or this year, later this year, and psilocybin probably in the next two or three years. Uh, I'm I'm curious. Um, I know people have been working behind the scenes, scenes for many years, but what do you think has really sparked the the more public psychedelic renaissance in recent years? What do you think has really open people up to the possibility that maybe all this propaganda that's against it hasn't really been true. Well, we've been fighting this fight for 50 years. I've been at this now since 1967. Hmm. When even a small number of people keep banging at a door for 50 years it opens up a crack. So I'd like to think that my radio program where I did that long running series on psychedelics in the early 2000s contributed to what's going on. I know Rick's work 
since 1985 with MDMA contributed. And then these scientists like like Roland Griffiths at John Hopkins and, and, and Charlie Grove at UCLA, uh, who did those studies in the early 2000s. You know, the, the few scientists working, plus our ability to get the word out to the public, doing it for so such a lengthy period of time, got the door open. But let's be clear about this. We are joyfully calling it a renaissance. But we're stretching to call it that because everything is still illegal at the federal level. Yes. Even though California has led the way with medicinal marijuana, which has been very helpful to who knows how many millions of people, particularly with regard to certain kinds of pain that marijuana helps with. The fact is, Marijuana is illegal at the federal level. And that what that means is that people are still outside the law federally. And that is a bad feeling psychologically. One of the things that's been most difficult for me in my career is that when I have self-experimented with these various substances, which is part of a hundreds of years if not longer history of scientists doing self-experimentation. Because look, 100 or 200 years ago, you couldn't go into a psych 101 class and get a bunch of subjects for you, right? And you couldn't go to the public. So scientists experimented on themselves all the time. So those of us who experiment on ourselves are part of a long tradition. However, it was, I also had a feeling all the time of discomfort because and I'm an honest man. I don't want to be doing mm. things outside the law. And yet I had that feeling I was doing something outside the law. That's psychologically not a good feeling. Mm-hmm. And that feeling still exists with many people around the United States that those substances are illegal and therefore they're bad or therefore they're dangerous. And the, and the people take the attitude because marijuana is still illegal with the government There must be something wrong with it. Now, there is movement. We've got 26 states so far that have passed laws for either recreational or or medicinal marijuana. But that means there are still 24 states who are not in that category. So is there a renaissance? Hopefully. It appears like we're making movement, and it looks like the government But until the government actually, the federal government actually changes the laws, we are just scratching the surface. Yeah. That is the actual truth because people's lives can still be ruined. The government can come in and use the laws and arrest people, put people in jail. And who knows what's going to happen if this Donald Trump gets elected again. He's liable, obviously he wants to be a dictator and he's liable to do anything with regard to psychedelic substances. We have absolutely no way whether he's gonna bring the power of the federal government down on science again and suppress research at the university levels in the same way it has been suppressed for the past 50 years. So there's concern about that. There is concern. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you bring up a very good point because I know I've spoken to people in the 
in the in the cannabis industry and you know one of the big problems is because it's not federally legalized banks actually can't accept deposits or the requirements are like astronomical for a bank to accept deposits from a cannabis business and you can't you can't do cross-border transactions and like with cannabis you know you can't sell sell it across state lines and so even though Oregon and Colorado have legalized psilocybin for medical use, you know, still you can get in a lot of trouble. And uh, I even read an article recently about a rabbi in Colorado who was doing uh, psilocybin group sessions and got arrested for it. That's what I'm talking and about, still, And Sam. he's still in jail. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Absolutely. And, and, and what you're talking about with regard to the people in the marijuana industry not being able to use the banks is very important. What other business in the United States is not allowed to use a bank? So right. it's it's a draconian law used to punish, and it's, right. it's archaic. There's really, and there's no science behind it. Right, and that's, dumb... that, and that's sort of one of the things I know people have been fighting about is that to 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 for something to be a schedule one substance one of the conditions is that it has no medical use but all these substances have some kind of medical use and 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 the addictiveness of it there there are all these um conditions that in order for some to be considered a schedule one it has to meet and the truth is that like almost none of these substances meet those conditions so it it's it's not just draconian it is it is n illogical it's not true it, it's it's this war on drugs is built on so many falsehoods that um people don't even realize that all these things people have been saying about psychedelics for for years are just not true they're definitely not true and we've proven it you know recently i interviewed some of uh England's greatest psychedelic scientists, mm -hmm. uh, Robin Carhart Harris, Ben mm -hmm. Sessa, I've got David Nutt coming up. And, you know, what I think it was Robin who said to me, you know, we don't really need more research to prove <laughs> that these psychedelic substances have health benefits. What we need is the laws to change so we can start administering and do even more research and so that more people in the sciences will feel comfortable doing research because there are still plenty of people out there who are afraid to even go into the field of psychedelics because it potentially could be a career killer. Yes. It wouldn't take very much for a yes. little switch in the government and it's a career because we have certain field, uh, fields within academia that are known career killers. Mm. Hypnosis, you want to study hypnosis? That's a career killer. Psychedelics can be a career killer. They have been. Human sexuality, a major career killer. If you oh, want to yeah. study human sexuality in, in, the, in the legacy, of the great Alfred uh, Kinsey, you mm -hmm. can kill your career. Wow. Because, yes, that's very true. And so that what that does is it dissuades smart people from going into these very important specialties. By the way, my latest book is called Freeing Sexuality. And I talk about 
the horrendous attitudes, the most hypocritical attitudes that we have in this country and how we have suppressed women, particularly in the field of sexuality. In fact, women have been suppressed (laughs) so horrendously, they're sort of in line with the people who have been suppressed for using psychedelic substances. Yeah. They're, you know, they're, they're in that same category of being the victims of enormous suppression. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, you know what? Maybe we'll have you back later in the year to just talk to about that book, because that's a whole huge topic in and of itself. Yes, absolutely. So we got to take our last break. So when we come back, I do want to uh, talk about sort of today, um, what if people are interested in this stuff, what to be careful of. Um, what to think about and how psychedelic use is not necessarily for everyone, is it? That's right. And we'll talk about adverse effects after the break. Wonderful. So everyone, please stay tuned. You're listening to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. We've been speaking this hour with Dr. Richard Lewis, uh, Richard Miller, uh, author of the book, Psychedelic Wisdom. And we'll be right back in just a moment to wrap it all up. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. Hey everybody, it's Tommy D, the nonprofit sector connector coming at you from my attic. Each week here on talkradio.nyc, I host a program, Philanthropy and Focus. Nonprofits impact us each and every day, and it's my focus to help them amplify their message and tell their story. Listen each week at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time until 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time right here on talkradio.nyc. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC at www.talkradio.nyc. Now broadcasting 24 hours a day. Welcome back to the Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity. Uh, so, Dr. Miller, um, today we live in a, in a very different world than we did even 20 years ago, 10 years ago. A lot of people are seeking out these substances. A lot of people, I, I know many people who are doing ayahuasca. I've been down to Peru myself. Um, a lot of people looking for, at psilocybin, looking at all these different substances, 
what should people be aware of before they engage in these things for the first time? Well, many of the psychedelics have an immediate effect on blood pressure and heart rate. So people who have cardiovascular issues should really be very careful and they really ought to talk to their cardiologist and to the guide who is guiding them right. pr prior to engaging in psychedelics. This, and, and I'm talking now about LSD and psilocybin and ayahuasca and MDMA. Mm -hmm. Not so much with marijuana, although marijuana can also increase the heart rate and the blood pressure. Mm -hmm. But people with cardiovascular issues, they definitely need to be checking themselves out beforehand. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go into an AFib right. during a, a psychedelic experience. So those people, uh, you know, for certain. Now, People who have a lot of material trauma from the past, material that they know they've stuffed and they haven't dealt with, those people have to have a really good guide. If you yeah. have any idea that you're dealing with old stuff that is influencing your life, where you find yourself being overly emotional or you find yourself being very OCD. If you're noticing and people notice that you have obvious symptoms of emotional trauma, you you've got to make sure that you have a very experienced guide. And here's hmm. why I stand. That material is very well dealt with using psychedelics, but only if you have someone to assist you through it, because if you don't, you can have what's called a bad trip. Right. So for example, I take a psychedelic and stuff comes out of a compartment in my consciousness that I've had trapped in there, sealed in there, for 30 years, let's say it was a sexual assault, or maybe a teacher made fun of me in front of the class, and I was humiliated and went into a shell, some material that I sealed off that I never wanted to look at. That material is very liable to pop out during a psychedelic experience. Now, if you've got someone to work with you when it pops out, that's a wonderful thing. That's what you wanted to have happen. You right. want to get all that junk out of those little boxes and the guide will help you clean them up and deal with them head on. And then you come away with a feeling of mastery and confidence. However, if you don't have that person to help you with it, you could find yourself in a negative loop where instead of coming out positive, you go around negative and negative and negative and negative, and then it can be hor horrifying 
because the psychedelic is magnifying the material. It's pushing it right in your face. But it can be overwhelming to have the, a negative material, demons, right in your face, alone. But yeah. with the help of a guide, you're dealing with it together. The guide is helping you breathe, helping you look at it, assuring you, and working with the material. That's the best thing that can happen. So it's the difference between turning a bad trip into a really positive trip and coming away with confidence and a bad trip continuing to be a bad trip. And you come away with, oh, my God, why did I ever do that? That was terrible. I never want to do that again the rest of my life. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've known people who've said that the, the the challenging experiences they've had while on psychedelics, they actually learned so much more about themselves than they did on the good experiences that actually they don't even call them bad trips. They just say it was challenging to get through, but that actually more growth happened during that time, more, more uh, uh, vulnerability, more releasing of these old patterns happen during those kinds of experiences. Um, Yes. The other thing I want to mention that I think most of the scientists, if not all the scientists in the country are emphasizing nowadays, Sam, mm -hmm. and that is where you take the psychedelic is a critical variable. Yeah. See, many of us who came out of the sixties, you know, people took psychedelics everywhere. They took them on the street. They took them in the park. But we're now talking about a different era. I'm not talking about recreational use. Recreational right. use is a whole thing in and of itself. I'm not against it by any means, but that isn't my area. I'm a psychologist. Right. I'm interested in therapeutic use. For therapeutic use, you have to pick the environment that you take these psychedelics in very carefully. That isn't true for many medicines. So people aren't used to that. In fact, Mm -hmm. hardly any medicines do you have to pick the environment. You can take your medicine in a car, take your medicine at home, take it in a hotel room, you take it out of the pillbox, you take your medicine. But with these medicines, you must pick your environment extremely carefully. You want safe, you want quiet. Out in nature is excellent. In somebody's home with all the technology turned off, a friendly environment, great. You don't want to be around industrial noise, Sam. This is very important. You're you're in New York City. I would not take a psychedelic in an apartment in New York City unless I was above maybe the 20th or 30th floor. Why am I saying that? because you have a great deal of ambient sound in New York City. I know that, I lived in New York, I went to Stuyvesant High School. Oh really, I went to Bronx Science. (laughs) Oh my gosh, okay. So you you don't wanna be under the influence of a psychedelic and all of a sudden start hearing sirens, 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 Mm. which you can hear. I was talking to my daughter, Evacheska, she lives on 56th Street in Manhattan yesterday. While we're talking, I can hear these sirens so loud in the background. That's the last thing you want to hear when you're under the influence of a psychedelic. And you don't want to hear ambulances and you don't want to hear traffic noise because when we take a psychedelic, we're very open. Everything is open, wide open. 
And those noise, those sounds, those sirens, they can influence what's going on inside and send you in a particular direction or maybe frighten you that the ambulance is coming for you or some other kind of mind trip that would go on like that. So extremely quiet is very important. And being around nature is very helpful. So that's another thing I wanted to to comment about. Now, the other thing in terms of of, uh, warnings that you asked about, Sam, is Mm -hmm. what is your mental attitude and set right before taking the psychedelic? If you're dealing Mm -hmm. with a lot of stuff in your life right then, probably better to wait a few weeks. You don't want to go into the psychedelics already in what you might call a bad mood or a negative space. Mm. But, you know, if you're dealing with a lot of extra stuff, give it a little time. Wait another week before doing that. That we we refer to as what the mental set is. Right, right. Better Better to go in with an intention, with a list of what you want to deal with, that you've looked over the list with your guide. What we're focusing on a lot more now, Sam, are the sessions with the subject or the person prior to the psychedelic experience, what we're calling the preparatory therapeutic sessions, and then the follow-up, the sessions after the the psychedelic experience. The way I'm describing it nowadays is when you take the psychedelic, you're going into your inner gold mine. Mm. And you're looking at all the precious gold in there. Yes. Following the psychedelic experience in the sessions with your guide thereafter, you get to polish the nuggets one at a time. And that's where the real benefit lies. Because otherwise, the experience itself could end up being like a ride at Coney Island. I had a lot of fun for the day but I didn't get anything to take home with me that I can use for my day-to-day life. Right, right. Well, Miss Dr. Miller, unfortunately, we have to leave it there. We're out of time. But yes, just to recap, it's set, setting, and server, three very important elements uh, for uh, an experience and the the preparation and integration that goes into it. Dr. Miller, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show. If people want to learn more about your work other than going and buying your book, Psychedelic Wisdom. is. Do you have a website where people can go to learn more? Mindbodyhealthpolitics.org. Mindbodyhealthpolitics.org is the name of my internet radio broadcast. And it's open source, all free, uh, no charge. Wonderful. They can listen to the programs of the greatest scientists on the planet doing work in the area of psychedelics, Without any fee, they can listen in their car, at their leisure, and enjoy the different uh, archives. MindBodyHealthPolitics.org. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller. I really appreciate you. Uh, it, it's been a pleasure having you on my show, and I look forward to having you come back to talk about your, your newest book in the future, okay? Thank you so much, Sam. It's been a lot of fun being with you. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And of course, thank you, my loyal listeners. I see loyal listener Sanaya checking in. Glad you're here. Patty, I'm sure you're out there somewhere. Thank you to all my loyal listeners. 
Again, thank you all so much. Stay tuned. Remember, 5 p.m. today, Frank Harrison in his show, Frank About Health. And, of course, our Friday blocker shows or Tuesday blocker shows. And we have something new coming up for you next week. So go to the website, talkradio.nyc, and sign up for our newsletter so you can learn all about that. Thank you all so much. Take care. We will talk to you all next week. Were you an essential worker during the pandemic? If you needed to learn stages of epilepsy, did you depend on advocates? Did you use new innovations to cope with mental and neurological issues? Maintaining high quality of life and keeping good mental health are what we all strive for. I'm Frank R. Harrison, host of Frank About Health, and each week, top healthcare influencers, professionals, and innovators answer these questions and more. Stay tuned on Thursdays at 5 p.m. on talkradio.nyc, and I will continue to be frank about health with all of you. What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today. Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium-sized business or SMB guy. And I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday. While I love to have fun on my show, we take those Friday feelings of freedom and clarity to discuss popular topics on the minds of SMBs today. Please join me and my various special guests on Friday at 11 a.m. on talkradio.nyc. Are you a conscious co-creator? Are you on a quest to raise your vibration and your consciousness? I'm Sam Leibowitz, your Conscious Consultant, and on my show, The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, we will touch upon all these topics and more. Listen live at our new time on Thursdays at 12 noon Eastern Time. That's The Conscious Consultant Hour, Awakening Humanity, Thursdays, 12 noon on talkradio.nyc. Are you a high-achieving, growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mira Bronku, host of The Hard Skills on talkradio.nyc at 5 p.m. Eastern on Tuesdays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc. You're listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.